privilege to present our speaker and pastor, Brother Richard Walker. May the Lord bless and bring the message. For those of you that does not know Brother Whitefield, I think I failed to mention he's fighting a battle with cancer. And that is because and the reason why he hasn't been able to work for a good long while. Those of us, we, we know him and we're acquainted with his situation and I just simply failed to mention some of the details and you might wonder well, why he hasn't been able to work. I'd like to begin a series of sermons It'll take about four. To answer a question, to give us all the details, I shouldn't say all because the Bible is certainly filled with so much information. Why do we exist as a church? Also, I might ask the question, why do you belong to the Church of God, Seventh Day? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You might say, well, my grandfather belonged to it, my folks belonged to it, and when I was converted, I just automatically become a member of the Church of God. Or you might say, well, I, I studied and my parents came into the church when I was a young man and, and uh, I too, as I grew up, I just learned to like the people in the church and that's why I'm a member of the church today. Why is the real reason that you belong to the church of God? I'm pleased to hear people say that they like the people in the church. They had an influence in their lives and that's why they're a member of the church. I'd like to hear that. But yet, brethren, that's not a good reason. It's not a good reason to belong to the church of God. Seventh day. We're not going to ask all those, answer all those questions today. But more or less, deal with our subject today, why does the church exist today? Now the reason why I asked those former questions was, as we look into the religious world, there are many different kinds of den denominations organizations, churches, cults. And if you should ask those people why they belong to those organizations, those cults, they probably give you some seemingly good answers as far as human answers are concerned. Why do we exist as a church? We're not too big as membership is concerned. 
in fact, were very small compared to other organizations. Why try to go to walk it alone? Why not just emerge with someone else? Companies emerge. Companies are finding it harder and harder today to exist in the financial world, and so they find it profitable to join the two organizations together. Why don't we then look around us and see someone which we feel we might be comfortable with and just the two of us emerge and walk the road together? Why try to go it alone when we're so small? Is there a reason? Only you can answer that. That must be an individual, private decision. Although I do believe there's a big biblical reason. But what I'm saying is, I cannot answer for you, you cannot answer for me. So why does the church exist today? I'll make a statement in the beginning and I might be making it from time to time later on. The people need the truth today. The whole truth. And that statement was not made in the spirit of bigotry nor of selfishness. But just a a statement. Bigotry has no place. The spirit of bigotry has no place in the realm of Christianity. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. And I'm not saying that spirit, the, the spirit of selfishness does not exist. But there's no place in the realm of Christianity with God for bigotry nor selfishness. So I hope as we talk together from Sabbath to Sabbath that you will see why I'm saying that I hopefully, and I don't, in my, uh, you've heard the story that sometimes we can't see ourselves as we really are, but I certainly hope there's no spirit of bigotry in my life, nor selfishness. I have lot of friends in other organizations. Nice, lovable, kind people. And so it's not that I want to exclude anyone as if our church was a private enterprise. Why does the church exist today? Let's take a look at some scriptures. Let's go clear back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis, the fourth chapter. And in this fourth chapter, you'll find that 
how sin begins to take its effect in the lives of people. How that these two brothers were born to Cain, no, excuse me, to, uh, to Adam and Eve. And these two brothers came together to worship the Lord and they, 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 they came and they worshiped Him and two different attitudes of mind. A lot of people, they look at the gifts that they brought and they say, well, now that's why God accepted one and didn't the other because Cain brought the wrong kind of a gift. Well, I have to differ with that thought because I believe it's in 1 John that tells me that when Cain came, his mind was evil when he came to God. And that's why that God rejected his offering was because that his life was evil. And brethren, there again, I want you to take the note of the word evil. Evil does not always mean that someone is stealing or he's going to kill somebody or has killed somebody or is going to commit adultery or has committed adultery. Evil also means someone who's not in harmony with the will of God. They can be worshiping God. They might be acknowledging God as the creator. And still be evil from the standpoint of the scriptures. Cain came and he wanted to worship God. But he wanted to worship God in his own way. In his own fashion. And so God rejected his offering because... Of his attitude of mind. I don't know what chapter in 1 John that is. I'm sure it's, it's in 1 John. Seeming like it's about the fourth chapter. But I could be mistaken. And so this chapter here shows us. That after God rejected Cain. He was angry. He was wroth. He was jealous. And so he slew. He slew Abel. The first murder we find in the scriptures. The first murder. And in, then in the 25th verse, we find that uh, Eve uh, has another child, another son. And she calls his name Seth. Now Seth means the surplanner or the one that took the place. Seth took the place of Abel. And I believe as you trace the lineage of Christ, it's from Seth that the lineage is traced from. And so she has another son, and uh, uh, it's the 26th verse that we especially want to notice. It says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he's called his name Enos. Enos. Notice now, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you have a marginal reading or maybe even a translation that's different from the King James, it might even give you that information in the scripture itself. But if you have the King James, if you have a marginal reading, it will say, or they began to call themselves by the name of God. 
begin to call themselves by the name of God. Or in other words, the people of God. The church of God, the word church, it simply means the called out ones. Ecclesia in the Greek, meaning the called out ones. So here they begin to to, to call upon the name of the Lord, or as your marginal reading says, call themselves by the name of the Lord, or the people of God, or the church of God. The church exists today, brethren, because God so ordained that it should exist. It should exist. Why? Because it has always existed. It has always existed from the time of beginning. And here is the first evidence that we have that the church existed or the people called themselves by the name of God or they went by the people of God or the church of God. This this uh, thought is interwoven in the scriptures or throughout the scriptures. But again, we have a definite point of evidence in, in uh, Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter. Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, and the fourteenth verse. It says, and then this is God speaking. He said, "If my people, which are called by my name, notice that, my people, which are called by my name." So they were going again by the name of God, or the people of God, or the church of God, if you please. Now here, the church has strayed. The church has strayed from the path. And God is trying to get his people to come back until they're strayed in the narrow path again. And he tells them to humble and pray and seek him. Brethren, that is something of which we also need to be concerned about today. Have we strayed from the path? Have we strayed from the path? That's the thought that bothers me continually. It appears to me that the church is straying is straying. It bothers me. But we'll say more about that later on down the line. But here, in this time, God is looking down and He sees that things are not as well within the framework, framework of His people as He would like. And He says, no, come back. Come back. There's a scripture in, in Isaiah, I believe, that either Jeremiah or Isaiah, that God says, seek the old paths. 
Seek the old paths. Oh, I realize that we're living in in a modern time, in a modern society, and and we need modern things. We We need to do things moderately and up to date. And I agree with that to 80%. I don't live back in the horse and buggy days. I know there are some people who still live back in the horse and buggy days. You know who I'm referring to. They have no radios. They have no television and so forth. I'm not speaking against that either. I've got a few of those in my own home. But brethren, I tell you, they can sure control you if you do not watch. If you do not watch. They'll sure control you. And the things that you hear, plus the things that we read today, will sure twist your mind if you're not careful. I'm not just chucking all books in the same category. When I go to the Christian bookstore, I sort of browse around. There's good books. But I want to tell you, brethren, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Because that which sounds feasible, that which sounds good, that which sounds scriptural, may not necessarily be scriptural. And God said, if my people which are called by my name, the church is still existing. It hasn't gone out of an existence. It hasn't died. It hasn't died. And I want to say up front, before I go any further, brethren, I don't think the church has ever died. I do not believe that the church has ever come to a time when it ceased to exist. It might not have existed as, a, as an organization as we know it today, or as we know an organization. When we get to the time of the dark ages, you'll be able to see the church was scattered, and there were fragments of the church But it did not die. It did not die. Even as we will see in our scriptures today. So in the beginning was a church, and and in the old scriptures in in 2 Chronicles was the church we find, and we find the Apostle Paul identifies the church also in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. And the second verse, he says, unto the church of God. Now, why didn't he call it something else? We see churches called by various names today. But Paul seems to refer to the church of God. And I do believe there's a reason. Because that's what it was called in the beginning. 
That's what it was called in the old scriptures in 2 Chronicles. And that's what it was called in the early time as far as the early Christian church, if we could refer to it as that. And to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. Oh, I wish that I could say that if you belong to the church of God, you're a saint. <laughs> I wish I could say that. Or I wish I could say we, we are saints. Because just because one who has a membership in the church does not, in, does not necessarily say that I'm a saint, you're a saint, but by your life reveals where you're a saint or not. The way you live, the relationship you have with God determines if you're a saint or not. Not because if you have a piece of paper that says you're a member of the church of God. And I'm not against membership or a piece of paper that shows we're a member of the church. I issue them all the time and I believe they're necessary. They serve a purpose. They serve a purpose. The only thing I'm saying is do not, do not allow that or do not depend upon that for your salvation. Because it doesn't save you. All that your membership serves and the purpose of it is, if you should move from here to Michigan, they don't know you, you don't know them. You can submit this piece of paper and say that Elder Walker baptized me on such and such a date. The church received me into fellowship. And they will know by that that you're a member of the church. That's all the only purpose the membership certificate serves in your life. But here the people said, or the scripture says, that they were sanctified, set apart. Set apart. Called to be saints. All oh, the church is alive and it is existing. In the apostolic time, in the apostolic age, we're tracing why does the church exist today? Because God ordained that it should always exist. That it should always exist. Why, why is it called the church of God? I've never given the real purpose yet or the real reason, although I've just indicated that it's, it's from the Scriptures it's been called the church of God. But in 1 John, the first John, the first verse, 1 John chapter 3 rather, I'll get it right. 1 John chapter 3 and the first verse The first verse tells us about the love of God. And in the second verse, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. The sons of God. Why does my son call me dad? My daughter? Why do they call me father? 
Because I'm the one that begat them. And here it says that we are the sons of God. He's our heavenly father. And brethren, we need to go by his name. Because we are his offspring, we are of his nature. We are of his character, if you please. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We're the children of God. We're the people of God, if you please. And so that's why that God wants us to honor Him. I'd be very disappointed if Gilbert should come up to me and says, I don't want to go by your name no more. I want a new name. It would hurt me. I'd be disappointed. I wonder then how that God feels when he, when he looks down and he's hearing the people say, we don't want to go by your name. We want to be called something else. I don't know if you know or not, but back in the early when I refer our early history, there was a church that broke off from the church of God, from us. And at that time, the, the prophet that they more or less were following, we do not have a prophet in our church. We take the Bible and the Bible only. But in her writings, she says, we should not be called the church of God, and I thought I could give you the, the, the quotation. But she more or less says that's too well known. That's too well embedded in the people's mind. They, they, they have a, a bad image. In other words, keeping the commandments of God and being different and peculiar and so forth. They have a bad image. And so that we need to go by a different name. In other words, they were saying, God, we don't want to go by your name no more. We want a new name. But if we're sons of God, I believe we should go by the Father's name. And that's what he's indicating here. The church... God has ordained that it should exist. In Revelation, the 12th chapter, Revelation, the 12th chapter, as we get to the end of the chapter or end of the Bible, we begin at the first and we're ending up in the end, although we're not ending my remarks as yet. But in the 12th chapter, here we find... <clears throat> I'd like for you to read the whole chapter sometime. It gives you the history of the church. And uh, uh, in the 14th verse, it says, And the woman, and in the Bible prophecy, a woman represents the church. It says, And to the church, or the, to the woman, was given two wings of a great eagle, that she may fly into the wilderness and to her place where she is nourished. 
where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. If you break that time and times and half a time down, you'll find it 1,260 years. But does the church die? Doesn't seem to indicate it. Because it says she was nourished. She was nourished. God made sure that she did not die. God took care of her. Through the dark ages, through that tribulation, if you please, through that hard times in which they were put to death because of what they believed. She was nourished. And brethren, if she went into that period of time, and if she was nourished, then she came out of that period of time. And in the 15th verse, you'll find there, it says, And the serpent, or Satan, in the words, cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. In other words, he wanted to destroy her. Destroy the church. But it says, and the earth helped the woman that lived in the caves. They went in seclusion, if you please. The earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And some people say, Another way which the earth helped the woman is when the United States was discovered and and, uh, uh, the people was able to come to this country and so forth. And I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. But it it definitely does show that the church is alive. In fragments, perhaps, but still alive. And so, brethren, I have a problem. I have a problem when we hear people say that the church only started in in 1800. In 1800. I have a problem, a real problem with that. A problem as such that it bothers me. It bothers me. To me, they're ringing the wrong bell. It could be that's the time when we rested with our government as far as an organization is concerned, but brethren, the church existed long before the 1800s. And that's the bell we should be ringing with both hands. Because that's what encourages me. And to say that the church did not start until the 1800s is unscriptural. Is unscriptural to my understanding. I've talked with those individuals and they say, well, Brother Walker, we're only talking about from the time of organization standpoint. But that shouldn't be what we should be proclaiming. Organization is only a tool in which the church church uses. It's only a tool. Again, the organization doesn't save. 
It's Christ that saves. And brethren, I'm not speaking against organization. I believe in it. I've been a part of it. I support it. And I've preached against local autonomy all of my life. There's no such thing as based upon the scriptures as local autonomy. There's no such thing. I don't care what you have. You have an organization. You may not have nothing but a congregation and a preacher, but you still got an organization. And if you got a congregation and a preacher and a secretary, you got a more organization. And if you got a preacher and a, and a secretary and an elder and deacon, you got a more organization. It all depends on how much organization you want. But to say that the church is not organized, but it's only an or organism, again, is unscriptural. You can put an organism under a microscope, and brethren, there's nothing organized any more than that organism is. It's only a play on words. That's all that it is. The church is alive, it's organized, and it has always existed. In fact, Christ's own words in Matthew, the 16th chapter. And brethren, this is what I have to believe. I have to believe this. Matthew 16 and verse 18. Jesus was asking his disciples, <coughs> excuse me, who he was, and they say, well, some says you're John the Baptist, another says Elias, another says Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Lord, we believe you're the Son of God. <clears throat> and then we find in the 18th verse, Jesus said as he turns to Peter, and I say unto thee, thou, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now notice. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now brethren, if the church died out, then we cannot depend upon the words of Jesus. Jesus was not inspired if the church died out. The evidence that we find in the scriptures show that it did not die out. And I believe the words of Jesus when he says the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. And so my concern is this. If the church will never die. If the church will always exist. If there will always be those that, are, that are make up the church. Then my concern is Wes. Are you always going to be a part of it? Or are you going to allow something to come along and destroy your foundation? That's my concern. And brethren, it should be your concern. Because the church will always exist. But I may not. I hope and pray not. My desire and my prayer is that I'll always be there 
<clears throat> but I know that the church will never fail. I may fail, but the church will not. <clears throat> but if the church only started in the 1800s, then Jesus' words were not true. The gates of hell did prevail against it, and it, was, it died somewhere. But I, I have faith in the word of God that it did not, and history bears out. You find fragments here and there of people who believe the same, practically the same as we embrace today. Embrace today. <clears throat> In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, shows us the, the love of Christ and what, he's, what he thought of the church. Ephesians, and when Paul is comparing man and wife together, the kind of relationship that they should have, he compares it with the church in Christ. Then in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives. <clears throat> Excuse me. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Brethren, I cannot imagine. There's something I cannot fathom. Why that God would allow his only begotten son to die for the church and then turn around and allow that church that Christ died for to die out. It just doesn't make sense. Jesus died for the church and through his death, you'll never die out. You'll never die out. Why does the church exist today? Because God ordained that it would always exist. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. No, excuse me, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse. Here it says, and there is one body. Notice that. One body. One spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith. One faith, one baptism. Paul, as he was inspired, he tells us here that there's only one body. One body in existence. And my concluding text in Revelation, the 19th chapter, some people say when Christ comes, he's going to make up the church when he comes. He's going to take some out of that organization, some out of another organization, somewhere else, and he's going to make up the church when he comes. But Revelation 19, and the seventh verse, Paul's or John says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife 
his wife hath made herself ready. No, brethren, Christ doesn't make up the church when he comes. The church is ready and she's waiting. And we could have brought other scriptures and we will be bringing other scriptures where God is telling us to come out. Separate ourselves. Be willing to become a peculiar people. Because when he comes, he does not make up the church, but the church is waiting and ready when he comes. Yes, the church exists today, brethren, because God ordained that it should always exist. And it will exist until Jesus comes. We will continue our thoughts along this line as to why we exist as a church. God bless you is my prayer.